0: and 40s. This woman, uh, Georgia Tan, ruthlessly ran a black market baby ring, stealing over 5,000 children, selling them to the highest bidder. My next guest suffered horrible abuse from the moment that Georgia Tan's gang kidnapped them at age five. They were swept into a dark role of torment. They were terrorized. Twin brothers, James and Thomas White, say that Georgia Tan is a wicked woman who ruined their lives. We're glad to have you join us. So you were literally, someone came into the house and stole you both, right?
1: Yes, they did. We were five five years of age. Uh, we were taking a nap. And my oldest sister, which was at 13 at the time, she had uh, left the house and went down the street to visit uh, uh-huh. our grandmother. And while we were napping, uh, these people came in and took us out of the bed. We were still in bed.
0: Wow. And do you remember what happened then? Where were you taken?
2: I was taken uh, to uh, to uh, Memphis, Tennessee mm-hmm. at the age of five and, uh, and to the Tennessee Children's Home with Georgie Tan. Uh, we don't know exactly how long we were at the te- uh, Tennessee Children's Family Home, but we spent a lot of time with Georgie Tan. She would take us places, me and my one brother. So we have figured out that, that we had lived with Georgie Tan, you know, quite a few times, you know, for a long time. Uh-huh. And then after that, then uh, she had, uh, of course, now we don't have proof that she sold us, you know, uh, that she got money. But then she sold us to a couple out in California, out in Hollywood. And uh, we don't know exactly how long we stayed there, out there in Hollywood.
0: Didn't you all run away when you were seven or something?
1: Yes, we did. We, uh, this was when we was in Hollywood uh, with these uh, very wealthy people.
0: Uh, Why would two boys want to run away from a wealthy home?
1: We were abused quite a bit. Uh We were beaten. Uh Uh, When I say beaten, I mean literally beaten. Uh, Back in those days, when the ladies did the ironing, the ironing cord would would screw off. Uh And this is what this woman would beat us with.
2: Uh Well, she had a problem with drinking. Uh Him and her both, you know, drank and partied quite a bit. And they would leave us alone at the house. So one night we just got tired of it, and we ran off from the home,
0: mm-hmm.
2: from the house. And then a neighbor found us in a swimming pool. Of course, the swimming pool was not, you know, full of water. Found us in a swimming pool, and we had marks. You were out. hiding
0: out in a swimming yeah, pool. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And the, uh, <clears throat> she found all the marks on us, and so she called the, the police.
0: Then so, you got sent back to Georgia Tan?
2: Yes, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and that's when the sexual abuse came in at the home. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can remember me and my twin brother, we haven't talked about it up until about uh, three months ago. And then we got it out, we started talking about the sexual abuse. I remember laying on the floor with Mm -hmm. blankets. I remember uh, kids with no clothes on. I remember the screaming and the hollering, and I remember them telling us to shut up. Now, these were not uh, young men or young ladies, they were adults, they were grown grown people that would touch Sexually
0: abusing the children? Yes,
2: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. They would touch us and hug us and kiss us. And they would put us in the, uh, in in the bed. In ways that
0: were not good? That's right. Mm-hmm.
2: They would put us in a in a big bed. I remember my twin brother in a big bed, and, and people just looking down at us while we were... And they had us to hug each other and to kiss each other, and, well... It, it just goes on and on. That went on for, you know, quite some time.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so then were you put in another home?
2: Yes, we was, uh... S-
0: sold again, you think?
2: Well, see, we was in two homes in Memphis, Tennessee. Why right, you want to take this?
0: <laughs> you, you need to come in.
1: <laughs> we are, uh, And
0: did you switch names every time?
1: We've got so many names that, uh... uh we don't know what to call don't each don't other half of the time. <laughs> uh, but uh, we, were, uh, we were in the Tennessee Children's Home Society at 1556 Poplar Avenue. And when Georgia Tan had too many children in that home, uh, she would loan the kids out. There was no room for them to sleep. Now,
0: so was this her home? This was her this home? This was, was the
1: running? orphanage home. Yeah. She had a home, an estate outside mm-hmm. in the country. But she would, uh, she put us in the uh, Porter Leith children home there in Memphis where she placed a lot of the children until she could find someone to adopt them.
0: So what we know now is is it really was a front for an orphanage home and she was black marketing the babies. Yes, ma'am.
3: Hello and welcome back to Waking Up With Mel and this is episode 54. Today we are going to talk about the pedophile and child trafficker George or Georgia Tan Now, Georgia was not her birth name. Beulah George Tan. Okay, so Beulah stands for bride or married, according to the Hebrew definition. So Beulah George, let's talk about her or him. Now, Beulah looks like a dude. And seriously... The lady looks like a dude. The dude looks like a lady. Whatever you want to say, it it's the truth. I've clipped many pictures and I ask people on my social media, I'm like, woman or man? And so far, I've gotten either no answers or man or whew, it's definitely suspect. So Beulah George or Georgia Tan, as she was known, was, and I might call him a he or a she throughout the thing. It just depends on my snarkish attitude throughout this podcast. So July 18th. 1891 is the day the world was unfortunately what's the word I'm looking for um, given this member of society Beulah and she's named it said after her mother and her father so her mother's name was Beulah and her dad's name was George I guess they just couldn't decide what she was going to be growing up so they said well let's just call her both names so that's what they did here and um, But she wanted to go by a more feminine name, probably, so she could get away with trafficking all these kids. Now, I have to say at the beginning of this, as I was researching this case, another reason I really think this is a man is because women typically are nurturers, and they typically wouldn't take babies from other women while they're screaming and crying because they just got scammed, or go kidnap kids out of a park or from school, you know, walking home from school. This pedophile uh, trafficker kidnapper was highly suspect of doing behaviors that were not of a female tendency but i digress so uh miss beulah she left the earth thank god in 1950 september 15th and she was never charged for these crimes we're about to talk about She was a social worker, child trafficker, as we talked about, and she operated in Tennessee for the majority of her career, which unfortunately started in 1924. Now, I'm going to pause right here because I have had planned this week on doing a podcast uh, in more depth about the world fairs, about the old world that was, I believe, taken over sometime in the 1800s, probably, and... um. I believe people like Miss Tan were born right in the middle of the psychotic world we were in. And what, if you've never heard this theory, I talked about it briefly on my last podcast. I believe it was just briefly. I've been going down this road now for a few weeks and it's just blowing my mind. I literally was driving downtown Albuquerque this afternoon taking pictures of buildings that I've driven past for 22 years and never noticed them. What I mean by never noticed them, never noticed the, the architectural style of giants. So if you don't believe in giants, I don't know why, because they are biblical and they are historical. The first giant that most people might recognize is Goliath. He was in that fight with David and Goliath, a famous Bible story, but Genesis talks about the the giants. The book of Enoch talks about the giants. And what I find very interesting about the giant race is they were half human and half angelic, right? So the angels chose, they call them the watchers in the book of Enoch, which I, I like that name because they were to watch out for us. But instead what they chose to do is they, while they were watching, they said, oh man, those chicks are hot. Let's go down and have some good sex with them. So they did, and they came and they had sex and that led to, led to children and children that they had were giants. And I can't even imagine the death that happened during childbirth bearing giants. I can't imagine all the like the ways they were and according to the book of Enoch they um once they couldn't, you know, sustain on human anymore, then they went and had sex with everything. And that's why Noah's Ark happened, right? So in Genesis, it says there were giants before and after the flood. And many people are questioning how they got there after the flood. But I find it very cool that the word there were giants on the earth, if that translates in Hebrew to in the earth. And so I believe the giant race probably hid in caverns in the earth while the flood was happening and some of them probably didn't make it, and some a few of them probably obviously did. So, there is a giant race that has been around since biblical times, since Noah. Okay, so I believe from reading the Bible, and this is stuff I've overlooked for many years, that Solomon's temple we all know that's real, and it was an incredible piece of work, art, right? These buildings that these giants and these uh, people from the Solomon days were artists they didn't just build a building in 24 days it took them years and years and years to build these buildings so if you start to look around pretty much everywhere across the entire globe you're gonna see remnants of these giants as a matter of fact i was just learning about it it's called the citadel and it's in the grand canyon and it was discovered in 1909, and they ended up closing this off to the public because they don't, for some, they don't want the public to know that God's real and that these giants are real. It's so weird to me. So they closed this place off. This guy had uh, discovered it right before they closed it off. He ends up dead, of course, because they like to kill everybody who, in history, who's ever trying to disprove the. Uh, they call it the Rothschild illusion. Um, the, his story, you know what I mean? History, his story, whoever's going to write it, whoever's going to tell you what to believe. So I truly believe that these giants were across America. And if you think about it, it wouldn't be that hard for them to make boats to, they had, um, these things called airships. You should really Google those and look them up. They could land pretty much anywhere. They're ginormous. So it explains how a giant could fly across the world in one of these. Um, They had places to land on top of buildings. They were used by small people as well. That's where you're going to see them. You're not going to see any of this ancient technology given credit where credit is due because maybe they don't know or they definitely want to take the credit, right? And I'm talking, this might blow some of your minds. I'm talking Thomas Edison. I'm talking the bell and the phone. I'm talking everything that was ever patented was stolen, And that's why they had to take the patent. Hey, this is my idea that I invented this because it was already invented. You could see pictures from the 1800s when these cities were starting to get taken over. A lot of people think it was a mud flood worldwide. I don't know. Um, I have no idea. I wasn't there and I can't tell you. However, the reason we need to know and understand giants is because the knowledge that they gave to mankind was from the heavens. So it was supernatural knowledge. Now they didn't know all of the supernatural wonders and signs of heaven, according to the book of Enoch, but they definitely taught mankind. It uh, says in Enoch how to beautify their eyelids, how to make swords, how to make tinctures of, um, you know, different roots, how to read the stars. So they definitely knew technology and, It would be easy for them to build big buildings. When you start to really notice buildings in your city or your town, I don't care what country or state you're in, um, you will start to see this evidence, and you'll see enormous doorways that are now made smaller. You're going to see leftover huge antennas that some people try to say are flagpoles, but they're not. You're going to see domes on top of buildings across the globe. You're going to see... today when I was recording downtown Albuquerque, I saw some arms like armor things. I can't remember what they're called, but they have just the armor of wherever people are from. So I'm going to do a little more research on that, but there, you'll start to just notice the the evidence of the giants all over the place. And if the Smithsonian didn't hide everything then we would be able to see more evidence. And that's exactly what happened in Arizona in the Grand Canyon is after this was discovered, uh, the Smithsonian was called in to bring more people to find, you know, discover it more. And then once they found crazy amounts of artifacts, they decided to close it off and shut down the dig and never let anybody go back. And if you try to go, they will send helicopters on your butt to make sure you don't go to where they don't want you to go. It's, It's pretty insane how much they want to hide this. So somewhere around, let's say 18, I don't know exact date, but I'm just going to throw a date out there. Like, let's say 1820 ish, something happened where there was a a shift and a change, or I believe a lot of the giants were wiped out. Um, The ones that did exist, like there were Native Americans. And a lot of times people think of these people as like. Indians with barely any clothes and feathers on their head and then we got the pilgrims but as I started researching and finding out all the names of the cities before they were changed like New York was New Amsterdam so that tells you the Dutch founded it Um, you know the Spanish came over to New Mexico and they took over many of the Native Americans here and living in New Mexico is a beautiful beautiful state and there's so many cool Uh, leftover discoveries that the Native Americans left behind. But I also don't believe we understand fully the Native Americans because as I was researching giants, I saw a map of Virginia where they saw a Sasquatch, which looked more like a man than a monkey. So now we have morphed history to be like, it's a big ape looking thing. No, it's a big giant. Sasquatches are big giants that they've known about since 1609. So Around 1600, they started wiping out the native cultures more and more and more, right? And the Indians started getting wiped out. The um, Native Americans were starting to get wiped out. All the tribes were getting wiped out all over the place. And if you start to look back on history, you will start to see remnants of the giants throughout it. You'll If you Google like world's largest man, they show you videos of 1950s of this tall guy and um, – to this day in Amsterdam and not not where all the tourists are, but where the locals are. There's a place where everybody's super, super tall, like giant size. So giants still exist to this day. I, I don't want to get into are they half angel, half... I don't know. But I do know that the elites of the world, uh, well, the ones that think they're elite anyways, they love bloodlines and they're all about it. And that could be why. So... When technology was being take taken over during this time, there was and all these tribes and everything getting wiped out. There was a mad amount of children that needed to be taken care of, and they're trying to say that um, you know these children ne- needed their help and blah blah blah. But they caused these children to be orphans, in my opinion, by killing their parents. And as I've stated before, they took these. Once um, temples that were these giants' temples, and they turned them into three different organizations. Well, many, but you'll see this definitely in old prisons. Look up old prisons from the 1800s in almost every city in America. They are gorgeous old buildings. So I believe they were taken over and turned into their temples, were turned into prisons, insane asylums, and college universities where they can indoctrinate. Those that they could indoctrinate. They took these kids. They trafficked them across America. as We talked about in my Orphan Train podcast for almost 100 years, 75 years for documented sure. They trafficked kids around America. It's unbelievable to me. So meanwhile, on Coney Island, they have this uh, awesome amusement park that I believe was open for the way before uh, Coney Island was ever quote unquote founded and that's another thing you're going to find is these cities and states they are founded because they found them they're not a main they're not very rarely established they're founded because they found them or the buildings are founded in such a year so I find that interesting as well anyways so the whole point of me telling you all this is when Georgia town comes onto the scene to traffic children Kids have been already being trafficked all over the place for many, many years. It's nothing new under the sun. So Little Miss Georgia, or should I say Big Manly Miss Georgia, was born July eighteenth, eighteen 1891 in Philadelphia. And as I said, her mom's name was Beulah Isabel Yates, and her dad was a judge, and his name was Judge George Clark Tan. Now, I think a lot of the issues with Georgia's life stems from her dad, maybe the fact that he made his son dress like a woman, or maybe it was a whole plan so she could traffic the kids. I don't know. But the first kid she ever trafficked, she was 15 years old. Um, And she definitely had the help of everybody in charge in Tennessee at the time, including the mayor. We'll get to him. So she had an older brother. His name was Rob Roy Tan. And I believe he was also adopted by George's, by the judge, George Tan. So Judge George, of course, he was able to do whatever he felt like in the court system because he's the judge. So he got to take kids out of families since before Georgia was even born or George or whatever, whatever the name may be. So it's reported that he had a domineering personality and he had aspirations, quote unquote, of his daughter becoming a concert pianist and being at the beginning at the age of five. He put her in piano lessons and that continued all the way until she had a chance to say no more. Uh, She wanted to be a lawyer and at the time, supposedly women weren't allowed to be lawyers, so she wasn't able to seek or fulfill her her. um, dreams as being a lawyer but she did as as i remember reading complete the bar so she never practiced but what she did practice she no wonder she needed some lawyer skills Third thing i find very interesting about miss georgia is that she attended many colleges so she went to martha washington college i believe that's an all-woman's college And she and she graduated with a degree in music in 1913. And then she took courses in social work at Columbia University in New York for two summers. Um, But she also, like I said, she passed the bar exam and she did that in Mississippi. But according to the stuff you can read about her, it says that her dad did not want her to practice law. And she did not want to get married. And she had what's called a Boston marriage. And let's talk about what that is. Because I believe nothing in history anymore, I'm going to always start saying, according to historic documents, according to this case, the relationship between two of the main characters in a book written by this gentleman named Henry James in 1886 is how this Boston marriage term came to be. It said that women in these marriages were often from New England. They were college educated, financially independent, and with careers of their own. This new era of freedom meant, an op- meant and opened up the possibility that women could spend the rest of their lives with one another without the need for traditional marriage. Many of these women formed intense, lifelong committed relationships with one another as a result. However, Class constraints meant that most women in this time were still expected to marry and have children no matter what their sexuality was. So according to the documents, Miss Georgia Tan was in a Boston marriage. And let's talk about who this lover of hers was that she is reported to have been abusive to. Her name was Anne and Anne when she met Georgia, had a baby and apparently she was widowed from the articles I could find. Now, Anne Atwood Hollingsworth, that's the husband's last name that she married and that died shortly after their marriage. We, a lot of people think she's the one that wrote Georgia's obituary. Um, She was her partner in life, but legally she was her quote unquote adopted sister or some say. And I'm wondering if that's so they could have legal Rights maybe to because back then I mean not until what the 90s did um, partners have legal rights to money, things like that, so I'm assuming that's why they did this adopted sister thing, but they're into adoption, so who knows um homosexual couples uh, at the time would do that I guess fairly often so they could you know, help with law and inheritance and things like that. So it's gotta be why they did that. Her obituary list. Anne as her adopted sister, June as her only child. And June was also adopted. Georgia adopted June somewhere between the time she worked in Mississippi. So she worked in Mississippi for a short, short time. They did not like the way she was placing children and they, basically ran her out of Mississippi that's when she ended up in Tennessee and got the help of many many politicians child welfare hospitals doctors I mean you name it she had everybody in her pocket somehow by the time she got to Tennessee but in the meantime she took Ann with her from Mississippi to Tennessee with her son and it said that um probably likely and knew about what was going on and possibly likely was involved because if you've ever been in a relationship with someone you pretty much know everything that's going on in their life am i right sometime around 1924 1925 the couple and their two kids one adopted june and the infant son jack all moved to tennessee Now, June has stated that she does not know why Georgia adopted her because she paid for things, but she was not there for her. She was basically raised by a nanny. It's also really noteworthy to mention this about her dad. So her dad, Father George C. Tan, he had been the chancellor of the 2nd District of Mississippi. So that's why Georgia started out trafficking in Mississippi and then moved to Tennessee but for 27 years he did this job and it was said that he took a strong interest in the well-being of orphans and that is what led miss tan or good old miss tan to work in child welfare before relocating to memphis tan worked with social organizations in both mississippi and texas in mississippi she worked for the mississippi children's home society as i stated before and She was asked to leave due to her placing methods in Memphis. Tan ran a black market baby selling adoption ring. She was accused of seizing children and selling them to whoever would pay the fee. And it was an expensive fee. It was reported that Tan pocketed about 80 to 90% of the adoption fees for the children. She placed perhaps more troubling than tan selling babies for profit is that she also was blamed for the death of many children some individuals even dubbed her as a serial killer. During her tender, tincture, Shelby C- County had the highest infant mortality rate in the nation. In the 1951 investigation report to Governor Browning gives the following details, and I quote, While financial transactions of Miss Tan were shocking enough, other facts came to our attention, with dis- that which disturbed us even more. We found that on many occasions, babies had been taken from their mothers at the hospitals when only a few hours old and placed in nursing homes and in in and about Memphis, where they were without medical, medical care. Many of these children died. Not only that, but the children placed in Memphis home itself were not properly cared for and many children died while there as a direct result of violations of physicians' orders. Doctors would prescribe formulas and medicines which were completely disregarded on order from the director of Memphis Home. Tan was a highly respected member of the community, and she had a lavish lifestyle. She had friends among all the prominent families and received support from legislatures, local politicians, and we got to talk about this crump dude because this crump is a chump. E.H. Crump. CRUMP. He was born October 2nd, 1874. He died October 16, 1954. So he died after Georgia Tan. Crump was involved with the Democratic Party starting in 1902, and that went all the way until, gosh, the mid-1930s. He became the governor of Tennessee and Memphis. He had so many political connections, it's not even funny. But what happened is when Georgia got in trouble for trafficking children in Memphis, her daddy and used his connections to get her over there and get her the same job she had in Mississippi, excuse me, in Tennessee. So here we are. So now Georgia is in Tennessee with Crump and Crump is making sure she has, you know, the doctors on her side, the nurses on her side, the judges on her side, the, um, health and welfare as on her side. So she pretty much has no problems getting done what she's doing. So once Georgia arrives in Memphis, she's hired as an executive secretary in the Shelby County branch of Tennessee's children home society. Its offices were located on the fifth floor of the Goodwin building in downtown. The society was the largest in the state. It had Branson's in Jackson, Jackson, Knoxville and Chattanooga. Tann used aggressive tactics to eventually take over the organization. In 1924, she began trafficking children. While in Tennessee, the law permitted agencies to place children with appropriate applicants in an effort to ban the selling of children. Agencies could charge only for their service. In keeping with the law, the society charged about $7 for adoptions within Tennessee. However, Tan also arranged out-of-state private adoptions for which she charged a premium. As many as 80% of these adoptions were to parents in New York and California. I'm going to pause here real quick. This is in 1924. The orphan trains are still going on because supposedly there's so many orphans in New York. So for whatever reason, parents don't only kids shipped over to New York. Adoptions such as Mississippi, Arkansas, and Missouri could be arranged for $750. Records indicate that between 1940 and 1950, the agency placed 3,000 children in just two states. A time when adoption in Tennessee cost $7, some adoptions brokered by TAN cost as much as five grand. Alma Watson and Regina Warner were both uh, TAN's workers, and they made a trip every three weeks with four to six babies in tow so she did not do this stuff alone walton to california and warner to new york they would rent hotel rooms where they would meet with prospective adopted parents most whom were wealthy each couple would pay 700 in a check made out to georgia tan additionally tan might charge prospective parents for background checks that she never pursued air travel costs and exorbitant rates and adoption paperwork at five times the actual cost The state of Tennessee itself contributed $61,000 a year to the agency, with 31% of that money going towards Memphis branch. Profits were kept in a secret bank account under a false corporation name. It is alleged that she pocketed 80-90% to of these fees from these adoptions for her own personal use. Oh, this Georgia. She also failed to report the income to either the society's, society's board or the IRS. Okay, so she's just a great chick. In 1979, an interview with Los Angeles Times, Tennessee special prosecutor Robert Taylor reported that 12,000 children were adopted out of the home between 1944 and 1950, but only a few of them remained with Tennessee families. Notable personalities who used hand services include actress Joan Crawford. With twin daughters, Kathy and Cynthia. They were adopted through this agency. And Joan Crawford, if you don't remember, is the one they made the Mother Dearest movie about. Because she was psycho and would beat her kids with, with uh, hangers. If they don't use wire hangers. That's what I remember about that psycho. So, yeah, she, she didn't need kids. And the, funny, the crazy thing about all this is these kids had parents who wanted them. They were literally stolen off playgrounds. It. We'll get there, but it's just, we'll get to some of these stories. So Joan Crawford got her twins um, through the agency. It says, while daughter Christina Crawford and son Christopher were adopted through other agencies. So we got more than just this one going on, which if you guys have never heard of baby farms, those are going on at this time as well. So let's talk about what that is. Baby farming was a common practice for people to make money off of babies. And yeah, our history is so black. So baby farming is a historical practice of accepting custody of an infant or child in exchange for payment in late Victoria, Britain and less commonly in Australia and the United States. If the infant was young, this usually included wet nursing, breastfeeding by a woman that's not the mother. Some baby farmers adopted, quote unquote, children for lump sum payments, while others cared for the infants for periodic payments. Yeah. So though the farmers were paid in understanding that the care would be provided, the term baby farmer was used as an insult and improper treatment was usually implied. By 1870, people were catching on to these baby farmers. And it's said that the Times uh, concluded a, like undercover investigation about this. And it says in the magazine, quote, my conviction is that children are being murdered in scores by these women that adoptions is only a fine phrase to slow the sudden death. Spurred by a series of articles that appeared in the British Medical Journal in 1867, the Parliament of the United Kingdom began to regulate baby farming in 1872 with the passage of the Infant Life Protection Act of 1872. So uh, baby farmers were just another way that women would get money for babies. And then they wouldn't really care what happened to the baby after they got the money, unfortunately. So, yes, there are evil women since the nineteen eighteen hundreds, probably since the beginning of time. But a majority of women are nurturers, in my opinion. Another famous person you guys might know is this wrestler named Ric Flair. He was adopted through the agency by June Allison and Dick Powell. And we have a New York governor, Herbert Lehman, who signed a law sealing the birth certificates because guess who got a baby from the Tennessee? Yeah, you guessed it, Herbert. So Herbert made it where kids can't find out who their real parents are. And he did this in 1935. I'm sure there are many more famous people that have adopted children that probably to this day don't even know they are adopted through this agency or whatever other agency was doing stuff like this. So Georgia, she didn't have just one way of procuring these kids. She used multiple ways. So we're going to start talking about what she would do here. So one of her number one ways was pressure. She would pressure these parents. Um, She would do that by threats of legal action, or she would dupe or coerce these parents. And mostly, almost 100%, these were poor single mothers. To turn the children over to the custody so that she was like, if you just turn your kid over and we'll help you out, uh, you, we'll, we'll take care of you. No worries. Well, here's what really happened. Anne Sipple, one of Tan's victims, described her as a stern-looking woman with a close-cropped gray hair, round wire glasses, and an air of utter authority. Tan also arranged for taking the children of born to inmates at the Tennessee Mental Institution. Okay, now I got to pause here. There, there was a gal that was at the Tennessee Mental Institution that was giving babies to Tan, supposedly every year. So what we call those are breeders. Yeah. They have women that they literally get pregnant so they can take their kids and they do that to this day. So everything that they do to this day, especially within the Democratic Party. Have you guys heard that thing where she, that lady's talking to Trump? I'm going to play it actually real quick. It deserves being played right now. About QAnon, it is this theory that uh, Democrats are a satanic pedophile ring and that you are the savior of that. Now, can you just once and for all state that that is completely not true and disavow QAnon in its entirety?
1: I know nothing about QAnon. I just told you. I know very little. You told me, but what you tell me doesn't necessarily make it fact. I hate to say that. I know nothing about it. I do know they are very much against uh, pedophilia, they fight it very hard, but I know nothing about it. They believe it, it is if a satanic like cult run by the state, this, state. Let me just tell you what I do hear about it is they are very strongly against pedophilia, and I agree with that. I mean, I do agree okay. with that, and I agree but with that. But there's it not a strongly. satanic uh, pedophile at all. No they are not. You don't know that? that. Okay. okay. No, I don't know you that. You just and neither, this and neither week. Do you know that?
3: Okay. If you are familiar with my podcast, then you've heard my stories about the vanderbelts and all the crazy things they do with kids that they procure um i'm starting to realize they just did this through adoption agencies like this they would make a phone call and they'd have a baby show up like amazon it's insane so because parents don't typically just give up their children you know mothers typically want to keep their children even when they're poor and in bad circumstances because you know we make it we make it through so, what she would do with these inmates at Tennessee Mental Institution, she would um, take their kids to meet the demands she resorted to kidnapping. So, not only did she take kids from mental institutions, women, who, can you imagine how more mental that would make you? Every single year you're having a baby and they take it from you immediately. Not to mention, how is she getting pregnant? <sighs> so many questions in that one. So, now she's kidnapping. She would kidnap from... Parks, she would drive up to kids in their front yard that were playing, and she had a black limousine and she would say, Hey, do you want to ride, kids? Now, why do you think someone like Georgia Tan doesn't have movies and books and all the things like Charles Manson? As we've talked about in my Charles Manson episodes, he never killed anybody, never, but this one did. He grew up in prison, tortured by God knows who. She was Lifted up and put on a pedestal and put into position to kidnap and steal people. And the whole point of me bringing this up is because history is only his story. It's only what they want you all to know. It's only what they want you all to believe. And still to this day, if you go up to someone, some random stranger and say, hey, do you know who Charles Manson is? They're going to say, yeah, he's that serial killer psycho guy. And you go up to someone and say, do you know who Georgia Tan is? No, never heard of her. That's how pathetic our history is. Everybody should know who Georgia Tan is because this should never be repeated. But you know what's happening? The Democratic Party, who was involved in this since 1900s, is still involved in 2023. And not only do I believe there are six satanic pedophile ring, I believe they've been one since the 1900s or before. And yes, I do believe Republicans are involved just as much as Democrats at this point because there is one party I've told, said that a thousand times. There's the New World Order, the people that are all about this crazy crap, and then there's people that have no idea, and then there's people that do have an idea, and they're trying to fight for their countries. That's about where we're at right now. And that's why we got to expose people like Georgia Tan every second, and every chance we get. There are many, many awful things that Georgia did, and we're going to talk about a few of them, and then I'm just going to play some testimonies from some of her um, survivors, victims. So one of the things she would do is if a parent signed up for health and welfare, she would have the health and welfare agency send a car over and basically pick up those kids. And the mom would sign a paper thinking she was getting help for her kids, but really she was signing over her rights. And each time it would say the mother would go, I mean, can you imagine three kids? You love these kids. You've bonded with these kids. They're your kids. And then this evil woman comes and steals them and you have literally zero you can do about it because you signed a piece of paper. Three people tried to kill Georgia, and all three backed out because she was so intimidating and scary. Or they were they had more morals than she did, and they didn't want to kill her. Um, it was also said that if a baby was loud or obnoxious to Georgia's ears, she would just hang them by their wrist in the laundry chute until they died, or um or the closet by a hanger. So she just liked hanging kids up if they bu- if they bugged her. One story I read it said that. Parents came to adopt a little boy. Georgia was holding the boy all happy about the boy and they heard this light crying and they went and looked and it was a 13 day old baby with her tongue tied to the bottom of her mouth and severe, um, rashes all over her. So, cause she was allergic to the cow's milk. She was being fed at day 13 of her life. So the parents adopted her and basically saved her life. Um, if these parent if these kids didn't get adopted to the elite right away, their fate was not good. Many of these babies have unmarked graves. They use local crematoriums to burn the baby's bodies because gotta get rid of the evidence. This lady needs a definition of a word because sick doesn't quite cover it. Another thing that was going on when they took birth out of the homes and put them in the hospitals so they could drug up mothers and, you know, they would tell moms, this is the biggest lie ever. You don't need to feel pain during childbirth. Sorry, ladies. God said we would. So we do. but And it lasts not that long and you can do it. I've done it twice. You can do it. And so what they do is they have these women go in, they get all drugged up, some of them even blindfolded during birth. Some of them didn't know what they were signing because they were so drugged up. But by the time they woke up, their baby was either quote unquote dead when it really wasn't. It was stolen. Or they would let them know, hey, uh, we just took your kid. So that was happening. So she's stealing them from homes, from poor people who are filling out applications for health and welfare, from hospitals, from drugged up mothers. She went to parks. She went to schools. And she went to kids' literal front yards when they were playing. She even took those twin boys that I started this podcast out with right out of their own home while they're taking a nap. So this woman basically ran Tennessee. She was like the mafia with her Boss Crump. And that's literally what his name was, Boss Crump. So her and Boss Crump and the judge and her girlfriend and everybody else, they're all out there running Tennessee and selling their babies to the highest bidder, the elite of Hollywood. Stories are mothers who would drop their kids off at daycare and the health and welfare worker would pick them up while they were at work, come back and they would let them know that the health and welfare came and took their kids and sorry, <laughs> you don't get them back. So this was going, can you imagine? I just can't even imagine. The amount of love I have for my kid, I don't have for anything else on this earth. So to me, this is the worst possible crime of humanity you, to, to hurt the innocent to take a mother's brand new baby. Absolutely the worst crime on the planet in my opinion. Now Georgia did some other things that I did, I'm mind blown about. I've Googled this, you can Google it too. If this was a, you know, a video show like I've been wanting to do, I would show you the pictures, but Google this. She put freaking ads in the newspapers advertising these kids so there'd be a picture of a baby. He needs a loving home for Christmas. These two want to be taken for Thanksgiving and she would forge like their ages because people wanted younger kids. So that tells me if you're putting newspaper articles in the paper, then you're also tied in with the local papers, right? Because they're full page ads. They're not just some little ad in the paper. They're full page ads with these babies. Children in Georgia's care were reported to have been neglected, physically abused, and sexually abused by Georgia and even murdered. They had no housing facilities. The society held children awaiting placement in public facilities and foster homes. In the 1930s, Memphis had the highest infant mortality rate in the nation, largely due to tan. In 1943, a wealthy businessman donated the mansion at 50, 1556 Poplar Avenue to the society. So now she's getting houses donated to her. The office, the office and intake rooms were put on the bottom floor while the nurses were upstairs. Now, let's just address this real quick. Even though they wore nursing outfit and uniforms, they were untrained and they were even substance abusers. Some of them were even prisoners. And the children were frequently sedated and those who were difficult to place were allowed to die of mal- malnutrition. So they just it was literally worse than a dog pound over here with stolen children. Tan regularly ignored doctors' recommendations for sick children, denying them care for medicine, even if they had syphilis or STDs. Uh, She would just let that continue on until they were dead, which often led to death from illness such as even diarrhea these kids were dying from. Some of her victims were known to be buried in Elmwood Cemetery in Memphis, Tennessee, and other children were never accounted for. And the exact number of the deceased children remains unknown, with estimates about 500 or more due to mistreatment. 500 children. And she has no press, but look at Charlie Manson. Killed nobody, and everybody knows who he is, but not anybody. Nobody. I've asked 20 people, do you know who Georgia Tann is? And every single person, nope. Well, you should. Ugh, it's so annoying. At this time, the so-called black market adoptions were not illegal, but were considered ethnically and morally wrong. Reasons of the day included the fact that young unwed mothers were often coerced to give up their children. The suitability of the the parent was often ignored. Information about the child's heritage and medical history was lost, and adoptive parents were unaware of any physical or mental illness. September 11, 1950, Gordon Browning, the Tennessee's governor of the time, he launched an investigation into the society after receiving reports that the agency was selling children for profit. He assigned the Memphis attorney Robert Taylor to the case. Two days later, the story was published in the media nationwide, including the Memphis, Tennessee, Commercial Appeal, and the New York Times. Public Welfare Commissioner J.O. McCann accused Tan and her cohorts of receiving $1 million in profits. The Tennessee Children's Home Society was closed in 1950. Do you understand how much $1 million was in 1950? It's quite a bit of money. The state of Tennessee sued Tan for an estimated 500,000. So just half. She gets to keep half, I guess. But she died before she could ever be prosecuted. And it said she died of uterine cancer three days before they filed charges against the society. So she escaped prosecution. Hopefully she did not escape it eternally, though, in my opinion. I hope she's in hell. But God still loves her probably. I don't know. For her part, Judge Kelly was believed to be receiving bribes for the ruling in Tanner's favor. However, a 1950 report to Browning by Tennessee Department of Public Welfare said that while she had failed, quote unquote, on many occasions to aid destitute families and permit family ties to be destroyed, she had not personally profited from the rulings. Oh, wow. She resigned shortly after the start of the investigation and died in 1955 without any charges being brought against her either. Over several decades, 19 of the children who died at the Tennessee Children's Home due to abuse and neglect were buried at the historic Elmwood Cemetery with no headstones. Tan bought the lot sometime before 1923 and recorded the children there by their first names, such as Baby Estelle, Baby Joseph. In 2015, the cemetery raised $13,000 to erect a monument in their memory. And this is what it says on their headstone. In memory of the 19 children who finally rest here, unmarked, if not unknown, and all the hundreds who died under the cold, hard hand of the Tennessee Children's Home Society, their final resting place unknown, their final peace, a blessing, the hard lesson of their fate changed adoption procedure, a law nationwide. There are stories about Georgia Tan on random episodes, 1989, Unsolved Mysteries, which I cannot find any clips of. Um, there's also the Oprah show that did that one about the brothers, I think in the nineties. And then there's another, um, deadly woman episode about her, but again, can't find any clips. But what I did find is this clip and I'm going to end the podcast here with this last 13 minute story of a child who was taken from his mother at birth and found her again when he was, I believe in his forties. Here we go.
4: Black Market Babies could be a postscript to Leslie Stahl's story last week about Iron Curtain babies who were taken from their parents and handed over to families the East German government felt would raise them as loyal communists. Well, tonight's story is about babies right here in the United States, in Memphis, Tennessee, in the 1940s, who were taken from their parents and not just handed over to other couples, but sold to other couples with the connivance of a corrupt judge. Steve Popper was one of those babies. He was born in 1943, but was taken from his mother the moment she gave birth. She's searched for her son ever since, and now those years of waiting and wondering are finally about to be over. On board flight 403, arriving at the Memphis airport, is her son, now 48 years old. A son she has never met.
5: There he is. Is that him? <laughs> <the answer? laughs> oh, that handsome, my How you doing? Okay, Rudy. Bless your <laughs> Oh, this is what I've been for, Sting, for the Don't okay.
4: Mary Reed was unmarried back in 1943, and just moments after giving birth to her son, she was told to sign some routine papers. Could you read them? At the time, were
5: you capable of reading and understanding what... I don't, because I think they probably just got me when I was up the fluence of the, you know, and of season you know, and everything.
2: She
4: was groggy, but she signed. just like a woman named Georgia Tan told her to. Tan was well known as the director of the Tennessee Children's Home Society. She promised she'd look after the baby until Mary was out of the hospital. But that is not what happened. You went to the Tennessee Children's Home Society to try to get the papers. I back? sure
5: did, uh huh. They wouldn't give me no kind of information or no records, nothing. What? The, they just turned you away? They sure did, uh huh.
4: It was only then that Mary learned those routine papers were actually adoption papers. She had been duped into giving up her son, and even though she went to court to try to get him back, it was no use. Years later, when a lawyer named Robert Taylor was appointed to investigate. He discovered Georgia Tan had forced a lot of young mothers to sign papers when they were too sedated to know what they were
5: signing. That's absolutely true. And I've had the mothers tell me that. Now they would come and if they were unsedated and tried to hold on to the babies after the baby was born, then Georgia Tan would step in and say, Well, you don't want your people in your hometown to know about this, do you?
4: But Tan would never tell those mothers what she planned to do with their babies.
5: The parents thought they were going to be held in safekeeping, and before they could do anything, the babies had been sold and sent to New York or California.
4: And that is just what happened to Mary Reed's son, less than a week old. He was sold to a family in New Jersey. They named him Steve Popper. He grew up knowing he was adopted from the Tennessee Children's Home Society, but never knowing the truth about how he was taken from his birth mother. He says he always believed he had been
5: unwanted, abandoned, I would never had any desire to find my uh, birth mother, birth father, because of the fact that I felt if they put me up for adoption, uh, they didn't want me, so why should I want to find them?
4: But then this past summer, he read a magazine article about the scandal, and he investigated, and he discovered that his mother never meant to give him up,
5: that she had fought to get him back. It was uh, like a bombshell, uh, but here I was condemning this woman for giving me up all these years, and and never wanting to find her and when in fact it was just the opposite i was taken from her and she was trying to get me back she did want me
4: that discovery led steve popper to search and search and finally he was able to learn his birth name and
5: then he found his mother i got her on the phone she said oh honey i've been waiting for this day all my life ever since you were born i've been waiting for this day and he said mom said if i get a chance i'm gonna get down there and you know See you first as I get old, oh, I'd never tell you. I was just crying and shaking all over. It was so exciting.
4: At a house decorated with yellow ribbons, Steve Popper was welcomed home. He and his family exchanged photo albums and began to catch up on those lost years. And now there is another photo in the album.
3: Thank you. Welcome.
4: For one family, a happy ending. And a new beginning. But what about all the other families torn apart by Georgia Tan? For during the 1940s, Tan took hundreds, maybe thousands of babies from their birth mothers, mostly women who were poor or uneducated and so couldn't fight back. And then she would place the babies with childless couples who would pay up to thousands of dollars. Tan told those parents the money was just to cover expenses. But in truth, most of the money went into Georgia Tan's pocket. Tan printed slick brochures to advertise the children. At holiday time, she'd plant newspaper stories offering Christmas babies available for adoption. She shipped babies from coast to coast on late-night flights and then would distribute the babies to waiting parents in the lobby of a hotel like the Biltmore in Los Angeles. She provided children to Hollywood celebrities like June Allison, and Joan Crawford got her twin girls from Tan, too. Tan's baby business grew, and she needed more and more children. And so she turned to her good friend, a juvenile court judge named Camille Kelly,
5: who was well-connected in Memphis city government. She had a stooge down in the welfare department. When someone would apply for uh, assistance because of they'd lost the job, this person would get their name, and get in touch with uh, Camille Kelly. Camille Kelly would send a deputy out, pick them up, take them back, award custody to Georgia Tan, and Georgia Tan would sell them. They were gone before you could do much.
4: Tan seemed to care little about the qualifications of the adoptive parents. Many were abusive. And she also cared little about conditions in her own orphanage, for despite the publicity photos, medical care there was almost non-existent. During an epidemic of diarrhea, more than 40 babies died. But the adoptive parents knew nothing of
5: the conditions at the home, nor for that matter just where their babies were coming from. There was an inmate up at the Western State Hospital for the insane that had babies just every year. No one knew who the father was or the fathers, whether they were other inmates or whether they were in attendance. But she placed them out as being healthy children.
4: It was Taylor's investigation in 1950 that put Georgia Tan and the Tennessee Children's Home Society out of business. Georgia Tan died just as the results of the investigation were being made known. Judge Camille Kelly died a few years later. Neither had been prosecuted. Denny Glad is co-founder of an organization called Tennessee's The Right to Know. She helps adoptees track down their birth families. She says nothing was ever done for the parents who were robbed of their children. When they found that things were awful and that it was wrong, Georgia time was proven to have indulged in fraudulent and destructive enterprise, they simply closed the books Close and hid it away.
1: Closed them up, sealed them up.
4: From shame, from cover-up, from...
1: As much as anything, uh, to keep from having to admit that it ever happened.
4: These days, Jenny Glad can be found combing through old documents in libraries and courthouses around Memphis. With a few records that have now been unsealed, she has helped hundreds of adoptees, like Steve Popper, whom you met earlier, help them to find the truth about where they came from. When we caught up with her, she was on her way to Memphis Juvenile Court with a woman named Pat Slaughter Another victim of Georgia Tan. We joined Pat on a journey to find her roots, and at the court she saw for the first time the records that answered some of her questions.
1: Your mother's handwriting.
4: Oh
5: my gosh.
4: Pat learned that she'd been one of four children growing up in a stable home, a loving home. But Judge Camille Kelly had deemed her parents to be unfit and simply took the children away, turning them over to Georgia Tan for adoption. Pat found some letters, wrenching letters, written by her mother, begging and pleading for her children.
5: One particular excerpt was um, my mother trying to see us children at Christmas time, and you just know she never got to see her children at Christmas.
4: Pat was nearly four when she was taken from her parents. Her brothers and sister were split up, too.
3: Why didn't they keep a couple of sisters together, in my case, and a
5: couple of brothers together? Those two brothers were eight and a half and five and a half. They were very aware that they were missing one another. Um,
0: You know, why did they so recklessly divvy our lives out?
4: To those questions, the dusty files contain no clue. If Georgia Tan were sitting here opposite you, what would you want to ask her?
5: The one thing
1: that keeps running through my mind is... How could you
5: have done that, a woman aware of the sufferings of these people? How could you have done what you did? And
4: the same to Judge Camille Kelly. The
5: same Judge Camille Kelly. How is it possible that you could have done that to children, to birth parents? It was money that uh, lured them into it, and I think they were the probably the lowest people in the world uh morally to
4: do something of this nature. Fur coats, chauffeur-driven limousines, gambling trips to Cuba, summer cottage on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, social status with Hollywood movie
5: stars. And she she owned a terrific amount of property, real estate. Camille Kelly was another one. She made $300 a month. She was a judge of the juvenile court. Yeah. Made $300 a month. New Cadillac every year. Chauffeur. A housemaid, a cook.
4: And Kate Burke president of the American Adoption Congress says little is being done even today to protect parents and children from black market baby racketeers. Is it possible any place in the United States today for a judge and somebody like a Georgia Mm Tan, to go into a home and take two or three or four kids and overnight send them Lord knows where split up families the way it happened with the Tennessee children?
3: Sure, it is. I mean, because of secrecy and that's what makes all of this possible because once those records are sealed that's it you're out of here you're safe
4: so there can be a latter-day georgia 10 probably
5: is probably is
4: there's a postscript yeah. to the story of pat slothower she was desperate to find her parents but for years her records were sealed too so we contacted private investigator katherine Younger. working with a few clues that were available she was able to track pat's father to los angeles Incredibly, he lived just a few miles away from Pat.
5: I was told by someone who was friendly with him in California in those later years that he had come out there to find his children, and that's what he did. He looked and looked for all the years that he was there. And here was one of his children just living just within the same Los Angeles area.
4: But that discovery came too late. Pat's father and mother had died. But she was able to find an older cousin who knew her parents well. He remembered Pat, too. And on a farm in Louisiana, she met W.J. Smith and his wife, Nettie Mae, for the first time.
5: Tell me about my mom. Was she pretty?
4: She she was pretty. Yes, sir. She was pretty. She was a beautiful woman. And your daddy He wasn't no bad-looking gentleman. And they they loved you a lot. Pat has been reunited with a brother and her sister. And finding W.J. and his family has helped, too. But nothing can compensate her for the fact that she never had a chance to show her mother and dad what kind of person she grew up to be.
3: It was really important to me to let our parents know that I turned out okay. Because I felt like as much as I've, I've hurt, I feel like they've hurt too. So,
5: my gift to them would be I'm... I'm a very successful
3: businesswoman, I feel. It's something to be proud of. Instead of the stigma of what they've lived with.
5: That's your mother's right, there.
4: For Pat Slothauer, like a lot of children torn from their parents by the Tennessee Children's Home Society scandal, the answers have come too late.
5: Oh, I wish I could have met her. Oh, you loved her. I know.
4: Chances are there are thousands of men and women looking in right now who know that they were adopted through the Tennessee Children's Home Society, but who are learning for the first time what really happened there. And they must be wondering, was I willingly surrendered by my mother, as a lot of babies were?
3: Soon after Georgia Tan, there was another gentleman by the name of Hicks, and he was... He was in business, too, from 1952 to 1965 in Georgia. And this guy's story is pretty dark. So I'm going to leave you with one clip, and we're going to pick up next week with a podcast about this this guy in Georgia that picked up right after Georgia. <laughs> Georgia Tan. Isn't that funny? Georgia Tan dies. And then in Georgia, we have this Dr. Hicks who's doing illegal abortions and stealing babies from mothers and selling them out of the back door of his clinic. So again, we'll leave you with a little clip. And we're going to definitely say a prayer over this and the exposure that's because this is still happening. You guys, if you think this is not happening, it's still happening. It's unbelievable to me how long it's been happening. I did not realize they've been trafficking our kids since the early 1800s. I had no idea. And I bet you didn't either. So here we are learning real history together And maybe all of our jaws are on the ground, so we'll pick them up with a prayer. And here's a little story about Mr. Hicks.
6: More than 60 years since the illegal adoption started and more than 20 years since the news was broadcast nationwide. But tonight in Georgia, there are still hundreds of people looking for answers. They are among the Hicks babies.
5: This is actually happening. This is unreal.
6: Melinda Dawson hopes a DNA sample can help solve a decades-long mystery.
3: I want to know who I look like. I want to know how my sons got so tall. I want to know if my sons look like their grandfather.
6: Dawson is one of hundreds who say they were victims of Dr. Thomas Hicks. Hicks, a family physician who performed illegal abortions in the 50s and 60s in McKaysville, Georgia, also delivered babies and sold them to couples in off-the-books adoptions. Dawson says in 1962, her adoptive parents paid $1,000 for her.
3: And they were instructed to come down, come through the front door, pick the baby up, and leave through the back door and, and go home immediately.
6: Dr. Hicks lost his medical license in 1964 and died in 1972. The medical records from his clinic were never found.
3: Oh, did you come to get DNA? That's
6: why Dawson organized new DNA testing this year, using more precise analysis she believes can lead to family matches. Paul Payne was adopted in 1952. He's been searching for his biological family for decades.
1: We just want to know things like medical history. Where did we come from, you know? Who was our dad, who was our
6: mom? Like other adoptees, all he's uncovered is a birth certificate he believes Dr. Hicks falsified.
1: He put the adoptive parents down on the birth certificate as the natural parents. And that pretty much sealed our our fate as
6: far as trying to find our roots. Hicks' granddaughter defended the doctor to CBS News. She says he was just trying to find families for unwanted babies. But that explanation is not enough for Dawson. After the DNA test this summer failed to turn up more matches, she's calling for another round soon.
3: We're in our 50s and 60s now, and this is is it, this is our last shot. Father God, I thank you so much for exposing this truth, even though it's been far too long. And I just pray, Lord, that every single person that's searching for their roots finds answers and finds the truth. And maybe someone listening to this today will find out more answers about their own life. I pray, Lord, over this entire world that complete exposure happens and it happens soon. I pray that we start to unite as a people and stop fighting over things that um, are the truth. I pray that people that can't uh, see the truth, that the scales fall off their eyes so they can... Be aware of what's happening around them instead of just denying it. And I pray for everybody who is awake that their hearts find peace and joy throughout this chaos. And I thank you, Lord, for being King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen, Jesus. I love you so much. May you guys have a good, safe week. We will talk next week about Dr. Hicks. Yay!